Welcome to another episode of the Cardiac Exchange by Medtronic. Please enjoy today's episode. Hello, thanks very much for joining this uh, Cardiac Exchange podcast meeting. Today we're talking about left atrial appendage management. And I'm joined by uh, Kelly Hutchison from Beta Scott White in, um, in Plano, Texas. Together with uh, Jeffrey Miller from Emory St. Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, and Dr. Basil Ramwali from Lankenau Heart Institute, Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. And then last but not least, we have George Rushing here from University Hospital of Cleveland in Ohio. So thanks everybody for joining this podcast. And of course, it's a, it's a topic that is um, dear to our heart, as we can say, uh, because it is in uh, left atrial appendage management is there's a lot of discussion uh, around it. So I'm very happy to uh, have this discussion with you and learn uh, a little bit about your practices and how you approach uh, the left atrial appendage. It's a small structure of the heart, but a very important one because we all know that if you have clot formation in the left atrial appendage, it, uh, it is um, a, a high risk for getting a stroke. Um, mainly after surgery, but also after other, it can also spontaneously occur as well. So therefore, um, maybe if we can start, you know, with the question, of course, which patients actually need an LAA exclusion? Um, are these all patients? Are these patients with specific uh, other types of heart disease? Or do you do it prophylactically? And so maybe I start with uh, um, uh, Dr. Jeff Miller. Um, which patient do you consider for LAA or exclusion? Anybody that's had any history at all of atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter, I will occlude the left atrial appendage. I don't think there's enough data to do it prophylactically yet, but um, certainly that might uh, be right around the corner. Great. And and so if a patient has paroxysmal AF, uh, do you also consider that patient a candidate? Absolutely. Right. Um, maybe um, Basel, um, the patient comes in, has sinus rhythm, but has has had a stroke um, a year before surgery. Nobody knows exactly why the patient got a stroke. Uh, they didn't find any indication for, um, you know, a clot in the left atrial appendage. Would that be a patient that you would consider for LAA exclusion? Yeah. Th thank you, Peter. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be part of this panel here. But, uh, you know, to answer this specific question, to really ligate the appendage today makes a lot of sense. If somebody's got undergoing this major life-threatening opportunity to ligate their appendage, which is where over 90% of the clots come from in atrial fibrillation, and they're likely going to have atrial fibrillation after surgery. So they're at high risk of developing it. It makes sense to do that. But like Dr. Miller, I agree with him 100%. As of today, we have a lot of evidence that we should do this in patients who have atrial fibrillation of any type paroxysmal or longstanding, but the data is still lacking for patients who don't have documented AFib. So while it makes sense to do that during this procedure, but th there's no data to support it at this point. Right, yeah. So we need to do more studies to find that, that answer. And we'll come back to that a little bit later when we discuss the trials that are ongoing. Uh, but maybe I can ask Kelly uh, as well, Kelly Hutchison from, from Plano, Plano in Texas, but now, a patient comes in with an, uh, has a large left atrium, um, has a mitral insufficiency. Uh, at the time that you see the patient or the patient is in the OR, is still in sinus rhythm. Is that something we should consider as well to do um, a left atrial appendage management? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question, sort of, um, and one that I can't say that we have enough data to definitively answer. I agree with what's already been said. Certainly, if they have any history at all at all of AFib or flutter, we close it for sure. 
I personally am fairly aggressive. If people had ha have had a TIA or a stroke, I will also occlude their appendages just because in so many cases, it's not really known why they had them. And so I feel like if there's a chance that I can benefit them by doing it, then I do. But as regards, you know, do I close all appendages that have mitral disease? The answer to that is no. Uh, but I do if they have any known history of rhythm problems and I err on the side of it if their atrium is enormous and has really poor flow in that area. You know, if there's already smoke in the appendage when they were looking at the pre-op TEE, I will have a low threshold to go ahead and close it. Right. Yeah. Excellent. So, so um, Dr. Greg Rushing, uh, um, thanks also very much for joining. And um, one of the other questions that we always have is that, you know, if a patient comes in, um, has atrial fibrillation, the anesthesiologist makes an TE, um, you know, just before you start your surgery, and he sees a clot in the left atrial appendage. Um, what do you do? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, thank you for, for inviting me, Peter, to be part of the panel. Um, I think that this is where uh, it's imperative that if it's an open procedure, you're doing it via sternotomy, that the first thing you do is you get a cross clamp on the aorta, right? So I cannulate the patient as carefully as I can, get a cross clamp on the aorta, and then I open up the appendage. Um, and I open up the appendage, look, if you see clots, get the clots out. If you have to do a left atriotomy at that point, you, you can. Uh, I've had this happen a couple of times where I actually open up the tip of the left atrial appendage almost routinely uh, in my cases, and I look to see if there's clot or, or stuff there uh, before putting the clip on. Uh, so I think that is imperative, though. But if you see it before and you see clots there, uh, I think it's imperative to get the clamp on as quickly as you can. And then in a more controlled fashion, you can open up the left atrial appendage. Right. And and uh, Basil, you would you would never just put a clip on. You would always remove the clot as well, or uh, what would you do? So if, if if somebody has known documented clot in their appendage based on echo at the time of the um, you know the surgery, and if it's a somebody who's coming in for open cardiac surgery through a sternotomy type regular operation, uh, then I would open the left atrium, inspect it from the inside after clamping the aorta, like Dr. Rushing mentioned and um, then evacuate the clot and put the clip on because I want to make sure that there isn't part of that clot that has migrated proximally into the left atrium. And this would be, you know, a, a very simple thing to do and, and certainly worth the time to do that, the extra five minutes. So right. that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So is it also already nowadays that, you know, uh, a cardiologist is asking you to do a left atrial appendage closure? Um, so they, they, the patient referred for, um, surgery, but the cardiologist already, you know, beforehand asks you, hey, but can you please also pay attention to left atrial appendage? Or is it something you decide whether you do it or not? Dr. Miller? I think most of the cardiologists uh, trust that we're going to do the right thing for the patient. Um, I can't remember a lot of cardiologists that have asked me to close it specifically, uh, but we do discuss uh, any history of AFib and they occasionally will ask about the maze procedure, ligation, left atrial appendage. Uh, but we're very aggressive uh, for anyone with a history of AFib or, uh, to go ahead and proceed with the maze procedure and ligation of left atrial appendage. Yeah. So, and Kelly, I, I was um, I was uh, happy to be a part of the procedure um, that Basil Ramvali did uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that was a standalone 
um, left atrial planning seclusion because more patients that um, are referred that are not candidates for watchmen, but they have an indication for left atrial appendage management. Do you see also more patients coming just for left atrial occlusion? So standalone left atrial occlusion? Absolutely, for sure. Um, we do it here robotically and thoracoscopically. And then I also do uh, thoracoscopic um, maze procedures, sort of the, the mini maze as it's called, or the hybrid procedure. And so um, I'm certainly, I think, the most um, rhythm-associated surgeon in our practice, and we're a large practice. There's eight of us operating. Um, so I probably see more of it than some, but but we definitely have a pretty robust uh, referral program for that. And so now, as Watchmen has become approved and become uh, so popular, we get even more because patients that are referred for a watchman but are inappropriate for a watchman for one reason or another, most commonly it's because they don't have one that's large enough or there's um, angular issues where they don't think they can seat one appropriately. Those tend to be the ones that are referred to us, but for sure that's a stream that's in increasing. Yeah. So if you do it robotically, um, what approach do you take for the left atrial appendage? You mean in terms of positioning or? Yeah, positioning. And then also what kind of, you know, how, how do you close the left atrial appendage? Uh, so we, we position full lateral and we close it with a clip. Right. And so currently there's only one one uh, company that makes them, but there's soon to be two. <laughs> right, exactly. Good. Yeah. Excellent. So Basil, yeah, when I was there at Lankenau, you know, you did three cases, um, left atrial appendage occlusion. And the last one was the one with the stent alone. And you also told me that you see more of these patients coming in that don't qualify for watchmen, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's a growing number of patients. And you see a lot of these patients that come in for a variety of reasons that require left atrial appendage management with known AFib. And these are patients really that are caught between a rock and a hard place because they have atrial fibrillation, but yet they cannot be on blood thinners for one reason or another. And those could be either significant GI bleeding is the, one of the more common ones. You have occasionally patients that have cerebral, you know, brain bleeds, um, and they're absolutely, you know, hard uh, contraindication against blood thinners that excludes them from, um, you know, endovascular uh, watchman type devices. Um, and, and those patients really benefit very much from an external epicardial clip uh, ligation of the left atrial appendage because there's nothing inside the heart. It's an epicardial, not an endocardial approach that occludes it completely. It's a very simple procedure for those who do it a lot. And, and you know, patients can immediately can get off the blood thinners. Yeah. And, and so you use a small, uh, small incision on the left side of the chest to do it. Um, do you think that the penalty device um, could be further improved or, or adopted to this technique? Or do you think it's fine the way it is right now? Yeah, I think I think it, it can be used. Of course, there are, as a first-generation penetrator device, I think there are room for improvement to adopt it for a less invasive uh, type of, uh, you know, applic application, like it is with either thoracoscopic or, uh, you know, mini thoracotomy or even robotic. You know, these are all options that can be adopted. And, you know, the, the penetrator certainly can, can do that, um, especially if it's tailored towards yeah. a, a cat, you know, a less invasive approach. Yeah, some of them we heard also your, a little bit longer shafts could be also useful um, that uh, in that regard. Yeah, longer shafts, malleable, um, you know, so so that it can be positioned where it needs to be right at the base. Because ultimately, 
while it's important how you get it there, the more important thing is what the echo looks at the end and the fact that it's completely occluded with no residual stump or, or communication. That's, that's the key. Uh, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. So can I think it needs a, a longer shaft and steerability is critical. You need to be yeah. able to, you know, it needs to be able to go up, down, and left, right, because degrees of freedom determine your ability to really get it snug to the base without impacting the cirque. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe that's a good topic then also the cirque. <laughs> it's uh, because that's something you want to, you want, of course, by all means, you want to avoid. So maybe, maybe Greg uh, rushing, uh, uh, what do you do to make sure that you don't engage the um, cirque into the clip? Anything that you tips or tricks that you have? Yeah, so I'm I'm very aggressive with uh, bovi electrocautery dissection of the base of the left atrial appendage, right? And so the epicardial fat attachments right there. And so it's typically the bovi. I turn it way down. It's at, at uh, you know an output of twenty. Um, and, and we take our time and, and really dissect. And I find that I get about another centimeter on average, uh, length onto the base of the appendage. And it allows you to define where the circumflex is very well. It, you gotta be careful, but these are, are arrested hearts. The clamp is on, you have the heart in your hands. Uh, it's, it's, you know, fairly easy to do, uh, quite honestly, as opposed to, you know, the thoracoscopic clip where you're. I don't do that on a thoracoscopic approach. Right. And maybe to that point, uh, Greg, is that also when the patient had a history of pericarditis, you know, you open the chest, you, you're not aware of that. And sometimes you find that left atrial, atrial appendage, you know, it's a little bit more flat. It's, it's, it's attached to the surface of the left atrium. What, what do you do to make sure that you get to the base? Uh, it's careful dissection, right? And it's usually, uh, it's, it's, I use a, a, a sort of a protected tip bovi electrocautery it's a medium length tip just for comfort uh and using a low energy uh source to just slowly dissect out the left atrial appendage there are are some cases where the, you know you you've, you've seen that you you look back and the left atrial appendage is just agglutinated to the left atrium yeah. or the pulmonary yeah. artery and you're like uh, 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 you know we're not doing anything but if it's you know a moderate amount of adhesions you can safely i think get that out but i think all of the surgeons on this panel, I would be willing to bet, are probably the most patient people in their practices. Otherwise, they wouldn't be AFib surgeons, right? So we right. tend to be the most patient surgeons uh, of the practice to take yeah. your time to dissect out the appendage safely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and Jeff, have you also a special technique to make sure that you don't engage the circumflex? Or I mean, I think like what we were saying is one of the most challenging are the, the flat, broad-based, thin, fragile left atriums that are just flat. And and I have left those alone at times too. But uh, I agree, you know, I do it on an arrested heart. I might go down on the pump flow to really decompress the heart. I have my assistant use two DeBakey forceps, and that's important because they usually have Gerald's in their hand because we're doing a cabbage, and the Gerald's will tear the left atrial appendage. So I have them take two DeBakey's, pull up on the appendage. I take a third DeBakey, and then uh, with my right hand, I have the clip. So I think three people pulling evenly uh, up on the appendage and applying the clip at the base is the best technique. Yeah. yeah I, what you point out here is that left atrial appendage is still a fragile structure in, of the heart, and, and you can easily get tears if you pull too hard or if you manipulate it wrong. Thank you for listening. 
Be sure to subscribe at medtronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.